My name is Susie Can, and I hope you enjoy exploring with me the thoughts that come with this thread. If you have any interest in supporting what I'm doing or getting in touch, please do so through the website kylak.ie, where you will also find other resources and connections that I create around each podcast so that if some of the tweaks of interest come to you through them, you have a place to go to go a little further and deeper or to find other information or to find a way to support by maybe wanting to collaborate or offer something or even a donation. Thanks for listening. I mentioned on the last episode that I had some interest in the novel um, and that maybe there would be work to be done on finding a publisher. I think I got some feedback that was really useful, really helpful, and I think it, it cemented to me that at the beginning of this episode and at the beginning of this thread, that what I knew I was doing really was using the novel as an exploration of thinking in a more imaginal world, that in some ways that is linked to the other threads through messages or teachings that I'm exploring to delve into and try to find their nuggets of wisdom, if I have any, as a kailiki in training or whatever it is that I am. So it was interesting because I think it really reminded me that this is a very unfinished piece that if I ever was to find a way to turn it into a more publishable, either in written form or I'd imagined before perhaps with collaboration in some kind of visual form, then it needs a lot of unpicking. And that's really what I'm going to continue to do throughout this cycle of podcasts. So I'm on episode three, and I intend to continue through the Celtic calendar cycles. So this is the equinox, and eventually get around again to solstice. And by then it'll be interesting whether, having simply explored this imaginal realm, I feel that's complete enough, uh, or whether I actually do work on it in a complete rewrite, taking into consideration the thoughts I have while reading it. I have introduced these two characters that I've been imagining and that got created quite a long time ago when I first conceived of trying to create an imaginal world. And I would love to develop them further and I'd love to develop a change in them around what I see in the world now as the young people in my life and the young people that they connect me with and that other work and community things that I do connect me with to see the progression that I think is amazing in terms of the understanding of diversity. The new words and descriptions that I, I know can be hard sometimes for older people who haven't heard of these words and descriptions to kind of keep up with and not understand and sort of dismiss them of like, why do we need all these labels and how, how, how can we understand all of this? But I, I love the richness of the diversity of the different ways to express identity that are emergent in young people today. 
where I'm stepping off from then from those character explorations, and definitely they would be characters I'd want to revisit and deepen. And in fact, some of the characters around them, there was kind of a cursory introduction to Rowan's parents, which we don't get a whole sense of, and then a little bit with Jules's mother. Starting to move into my attempts to imagine different forms of exchange that might exist in the future, and that connects with the systems thread in this batch of release, because there I'm also talking about imagined systems of collaboration and exchange. So I kind of put Rowan in a journey where he will encounter people experimenting with that, and then he's in that system echoing and getting to apprentice to the traders for his journey just to see what exchanges are like and what could he have of offer uh, into this complex system of exchange that is no longer operating in the way that our system of very monetized exchange as the primary means of exchange is happening. And while I am part of and try to engage with alternative means of exchange, and I believe that there is huge amounts of activity of exchange that goes on that's completely ignored by and seen as irrelevant to economic exchanges that involve money, it's not overt yet that they could replace, complement, weave in in new ways uh, that are going to then support our ecosystems and our social systems. So this is me imagining Rowan going on further, experimenting with these. This is chapter three. The trading was going well. Most of his cargo was for the end of his journey, but he was supposed to supply himself by trading his own gatherings from earnings. He'd done that without a problem so far. He was pleased he was disproving his father's belief that the only way he knew how to connect with people for trading was on the net. Wrong. He'd picked the right trade goods and his trunk full of electronic pieces for repair work from the depot near his home was proving popular. He felt smug that he was good at picking out the most useful bits especially when he delighted people that he had just what they were looking for. He seemed to be having luck with timing or route, as no other traders had passed this way for a few weeks or, in some cases, months before winter had set in. And so people were out along the lanes or at the harbours as soon as he came into view or made a ferry crossing. He'd also managed to forage for a number of rarer plants in the big eastern food forests and had even been let into some of the even bigger solar glass houses. In exchange for only a few bits of tech and net news, he found the plant tenderers pleasant to talk to. They liked showing off their modified earth batteries and the tropical plants they'd allowed them to grow. It meant good trading, as most people, so far, along his route, were very excited about new seeds or plants for their own village or town food production. It seemed people out of the city were even worse than at home with their incessant stories of the best way to grow, harvest, process, and eat some poor plant. Still, he had enjoyed helping a family grouping in a big communal house fix their motherboard 
and had waited long enough that they all got a bit of internet time. Rowan felt only mildly guilty when he'd sent a few questions to mates, as strictly speaking he was supposed to stay out of touch until he was home, but he had one of the best meals he'd eaten so far, made of simple ingredients. But he'd never had the combination of a beetroot, goat cheese and breadcrumb burger. It was amazing and so easy to make. He looked forward to making them for his parents. At this stage, he was missing quite badly. The homey family feeling had been another reason, along with the break from the press bed in the wagon in a warm loft that he'd stayed an extra few days. Not that he was cold. The little queenie stove in the wagon was amazing. He was warmer there than he was in his apartment at home. It was crazy how seldom their district retroheating actually worked. The communal family had showed him proudly round their setup. It was pretty cool. There was enough of them living together, it seemed, to ensure that the workload wasn't too heavy and everyone was a micro-producer. Their herb goats, cheeses, apple ciders, vinegars, crafts, painted eggs, and old nets and nifty tools that had been repurposed for use across their production. Rowan began to get a sense of what his parents were always on about, about the need to add new skills, because they said there was still a lot of catching up to do. But the thing that impressed him most about the commune was that the family groups had taken in a number of chronically unwell people from the locality and the nearest islands to care for. They told Rowan it all started because it helped them deal with the fact that in the early days there was a lot of community conflict. They were focused inwardly too much. Then, somehow they realized they had what they needed and they wanted to begin to share the surplus. What had happened was that as they reached out to helping others, it had actually helped themselves. Their conflicts faded, debates and discussions, because far more pressing demands of figuring out how to help the suffering of others took precedent at every community meeting. Rowan had seen some vid clips of this sort of thing, but was surprised to feel so emotional witnessing it in real life. He was sorry to leave, especially old Farty Tops, the nickname for a sick older man who he'd sat with for a few hours. He hadn't seen sick unless you looked at his skinny frame and face. People kept coming up, asking for advice and chatting, or just bringing their little kids to climb on his bed like a lounger, jumping around, shouting farty tops, until a huge noise erupted and they all screamed with laughter. One of the family told him as he was leaving that Jerome, farty tops' real name, wasn't expected to have lasted the winter. He had a bowel tumour that was the cause of the farting. Rowan was too stunned to respond. He turned to Black Elder and packed up his wares. He would trade some more but hoped to keep small samples of everything he came across, except maybe the smelly goat's cheese, so that his mum and dad would get a few presents when he got home. They'd be thrilled with so much of what he was finding. He managed to trade some of his mum's trusty layers that were strapped into their crates for a new breed that the family had. It was a dual-purpose bird with thick black feathers, even on its feet like silkies, and they agreed to trade him a breeding pair. He was feeling pretty confident about his trading position as he set off for the next town not that far from the commune. It sat at the very edge of the island, above a new harbour. 
The view as he crested the hill was spectacular. He stopped and watched the sun's path as it sped towards the last mountains in the far west. Some quality of the haze turned the sun into a fireball. He watched and listened to the noisy evening rooks in a nearby woodland call their way to nest. Their communal sounds mingled with the cries of gulls down near the shore, following a small fishing boat into the harbour. Rowan took note of the barge ferry jetty for the morning, before moving to the edge of the town looking for a place to camp for the night. About half an hour later he pulled Black Elder over to a hitch with a large, clean-looking water trough. So far he was finding that he didn't need to trade much to keep him and his horse fed. There was a reasonable amount of spring growth and good foraging to add to his mother's fruit leathers, nut pastes, and dried beans. He'd had his own eggs until he traded for the younger breeding pair. Much less trading goods were needed than he would have in the city for fodder, cheeses, and milks. This latest hitch was in an abundant sheltered meadow with early spring flowers just coming into their own were sweet vernal meadow foxtail, red fescue, and common bent. These were interspersed with more wildflowers, cowslip, lady smock, cat's ear, oxide davy, and meadow buttercup. Rowan could almost hear Black Elder sigh with relish as he bent to the feast of an evening meal. The stores in this town had notices about running a community currency, so he went to the largest to see if he could trade for some notes to do the rest of his shopping so as that would make things easier. An old man behind the counter looked at him and asked if he'd brought any books. Rowan went back out to the caravan and brought in the books he'd picked up at the last town. The man looked them over and asked what else he was trading. Rowan launched into his best sales pitch. He felt he was getting quite good at it now. Suddenly, the man walked around the counter and faced off, or so it seemed to Rowan. He spoke with a steady menace in his voice. Look, you, we don't stand for all that consumer selling buy more claptrap here. We'll make an honest trade with you, but we don't want you working up a little ad campaign of your own to sell us any shite we don't need. If you've got something useful, it'll trade itself. Got it? Sorry, sorry, Rowan stammered. It was the first unfriendly interaction he'd had since leaving the city, and it took him aback. It's all right, son. I won't eat you. Now the man was moving back behind his counter. Rowan was sure he was laughing. Just want you to mind your manners. Get a bit edgy with newcomers. The man was calmer now, and Rowan wondered if he was a bit mad. We was hard hit here during the collapses, same as anywhere, you might say. But we got a series of late blows round here. We built our harbour too soon and the oceans they still rose over it. And what with the cold winters and shorter summers, it took us all out, all things rotten, till we built the new harbour. Get trading again. Those aftershocks made more shutdowns, pullouts. Some of those early resorts grabbing companies that were given incentives to help. Help, ha. In my boyhood, that was. I remember how miserable all the adults were. Or the recognition had really sunk in anywhere. 
and everywhere of the new form dials. Those growth models been through for good. Reality dawned. Food was scarce here for a long time, just like it was at the beginning. People were so angry. Many people died. Suicide. Copycat. One of them was me da. He stopped and sat suddenly on a stool behind the counter. Sorry now, young fella. You don't really need all that spewed on you. Don't know what came over me. I'm normally quiet as a bird. The point is, we've spent years building up the community again. Swore blind we'd find new values, look after each other, what was around us. We've succeeded. You know, this is a vibrant place. And he seemed to brighten. Lots of music and dancing and art. Everyone's fed and housed. And you see, the only money we need here our own. Come back to me in the morning. We'll talk more about trading. Rowan turned to go, but the man shouted after him. You should call into the row of rooms tonight in our community centre. Young knight tonight. You might meet a few your age, maybe even a girl. Rowan went outside to deal with the crowd that would invariably be waiting at his trader caravan by now. He did well, remembering to keep his pitch low-key, glad of the old man's advice. A few lads his own age had spent ages going through his tech box of bits, chatting with him amicably. With some currency in his pocket for the first time since leaving home, he decided he would stay over and check out what the old man said about nightlife. He found a larger paddock on the common and unhitched Black Elder letting him off to mingle with some local nags. They were both in for a social evening, he thought, smiling. There were only a few fillies and mares, he noted, before setting his big horse free, remembering Georgie's advice on not leaving him loose if competition were about. He spoke to the horse in the gloom. I'll not be late. I'm betting your chances are way better than mine for picking somebody up. For a moment, he caught Black Elder's eye and was reminded of the look in the old man's eye when he suggested he go to the rower. He smiled and headed for the social dancing. He was surprised to find the music was to his liking. After the old man's outburst, he'd expected the town might be one of those total retro places, gone a bit like the latter-day Amish he'd researched once on random surfing. A few Scott High Islands he'd heard of had stopped their lives in 2020 and just headed slowly backwards until they were somewhere between the 1930s and 1950s in every way, including the music. He didn't know if any of the air aisles were the same. As he stood surveying the hall, one of the guys from earlier came over and offered to get him a drink. No alcohol allowed. He shrugged when the stranger arrived back, some fruit cordial of some kind. Name Sizel. You? shouted over the music. Rowan. It's good to meet you, Rowan. Have someone from out of town. Can be a bit dull around here in the winter. It's okay the rest of the year. Always someone passing through. I mean, we're really lucky. Adults organise a ton of stuff to keep us happy. Sizel, have you, um... A religion here? Rowan was suspicious of the upbeat talk. No, Sizel answered. They threw that out too when they got back on their feet. Why'd you ask? Do you have a faith you need to practice? No, 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 just curious. I've seen one odd one on my way here and heard of others on the net. Nothing too strange, but 
Everyone seems very polite in some of them, and yet they come across rigidly like, you know, the old man in your store. The boy laughed then and shouted, Potty, that's my granda. He's a million miles away from any religion except keep the community happy religion. And that means keep any extra unnecessary stuff out, no waste, no debt. He's religious about those things for sure. Sorry, I didn't know he was your granddad. No worries. So what do you reckon? Sizel changed the subject, but didn't seem to be offended. Want to ask a couple of girls to dance? Would you the visiting stranger by my side? I'm pretty sure I can pull. Um, well, uh, which ones? There, look at them. What do you think? Mm, nice. You go on. Lead the way. What have I got to lose? I'm out of here in the morning, Rowan said, full of brazenness he didn't feel inside. They approached two girls, both slightly taller than either of them, and Sizel asked them to dance. The girls smiled and nodded before Ronan could believe it. He was dancing with his first girl ever. The music was fast and the beat heavy. It reverberated in his chest and stomach and other places too. They kept dancing through the next dance and the one after that, only heading for drinks when they were exhausted, laughing and hot. With a wink at Rowan, Sizel motioned outside for air and they followed him out. The chill spring air refreshed them and they chatted and messed about along the steps and railings, the boys showing off. Then Sizel managed to get his girl off to the other side of the building without Rowan and the girl he was with really noticing they were alone and it was awkward. So where are you heading next? she asked, and he realized he didn't know her name, but it was too embarrassing to ask now. Well, Cavan, Leitrim, Slago, I think Donegal is where I have to get to, but the rest's up to me. I've only ever met one other. Other? Rowan asked. Yes, other passage boy, who went to Donegal. Oh? I met him on the way back, too. He was different. They say Donegal holds some magic. I'm not really into all that. But why Donegal then? My parents are pretty big into the passage. You know, we must teach our children new stories, new values, blah, blah, blah. And they love the idea of me being self-reliant and so on. Well, my parents are too. This whole town is. But you sound like you mock it. Sorry. I don't mean to. But it's just that for me, I think we've just adapted like people always have, moved forward. We've managed to put up plenty of windmills, got our food supply sorted. I know our grandparents found the transition tough, because they'd had cars and stuff. But we will have things again, you know. Nothing stays the same. You should see some of the solutions they're coming up with now that'll get us back on track. So you think how we're living now is off track? Rowan started to feel flustered. He didn't want to get into this. He had a sudden impulse, and in a way that it would have stunned his parents. He didn't ponder it. He just kissed her. Now we're on track, she said a few moments later, giggling. 
They stood kissing and snogging until other kids started to filter outside. An older-looking boy called to the girl. Sinead, come on. Ma said I'd make sure you got straight home. Sorry, I have to fly, or I'll be killed stone dead. Nice to meet ya. With that, she was gone. Shizel showed up a minute later with his arm round his girl. No luck, so Rowan. Ah well, it's always the next town. When you heading out? I'll be gone early, after I trade with your granddad, if it stays clear for a crossing. The next aisle looks quite far. Right so. Good luck, man. See you on your way back, maybe, if you make it. Yeah, thanks for the company and drink and all. Bye. Later, as he lay warmed by the heat of the queenie stove in his bed, Rowan mulled over the night. He decided he wasn't going to act on impulse with a girl like that again. He preferred having time to think things over. The kiss hadn't been his first, but it was very disconnected from the person. He knew absolutely nothing about her. He was amazed that you could just arrive in a town for one night and kiss a stranger and leave again in the morning. It was weird and he didn't like the feeling it gave him at all. He thought that if her brother hadn't arrived when he did, they'd have kept going. The thought of that was both exciting and disturbing. In the morning, Black Elder was grazing on the far side of the common. He walked across to the accompaniment of the dawn chorus. Rowan greeted the big horse and was relieved to have something solid and familiar to hang on to after the strange feelings from the previous night. The horse looked at him as if to say, no luck here either. Or was there some reproach in his eyes? They wandered to the caravan. The birds were so noisy he could hardly think, which suited him just fine. He dropped by the store, but it wasn't open yet. He left a note saying to keep the books and that he'd trade on the way home. He double-checked the harnesses and got properly underway. The rhythm soon settled him into a comfortable zone. The sun was breaking through an early morning mist as he headed down the tracks to the harbour and he focused on the narrow lane ahead. He was daydreaming as he descended to the remains of the mist. For a moment he thought he saw someone ahead. His heart gave a start because he thought it might be the girl from last night. Did she have some kind of net? Jeez, was she out to catch him? Was that a bird net? It took a few seconds and then the early mist cleared and there was absolutely nothing. I'm daydreaming or daymaring, he laughed out loud to Black Elder. As he passed by the spot where he thought he'd seen a girl, there was nothing, not even birdsong. They must have sung themselves out earlier, he thought. Having read chapter three, I can see the dilemmas in my mind around writing a story to try to create this imaginal world because I'm thinking as I'm writing about the absolutes, the rightness or the wrongness of approaches to how we might collaborate better in our world and how we could organize ourselves. And I was very familiar with a lot of the narratives coming out of the transition towns movements around community currencies that have been experimented with in Ireland and the UK and across the world, things that allow more exchange to happen at the local level and stop value kind of exiting communities like a leaky bucket 
that our current economic system drains and extracts from community. And at the same time, I'm imagining the kind of eco-villages that I know today, and they're small-scale ones with on the, on the level of just a small number of families and bigger ones. And then what I was particularly inspired by throughout my life was Camp Hill communities, because my grandmother was a founding parent of Camp Hill community in Northern Ireland. Although she didn't live in the community, her son then, my uncle, was cared for throughout his life and they created another community when the children of the first Camp Hill school got older and he lived out his life in a community. And one of the things that I remember hearing from people who talk a lot about intentional communities was that the levels of conflict amongst inter-communities are lessened when the community is in service to some other group. So in the case of Camp Hill, they're in service to adults with different levels of intellectual disability and sometimes physical disabilities. The evidence was that there was less internal conflict in the community because of that service role, which I found interesting. That kind of feeds into what I was thinking about in the, the different practices of how people might be working together with some kind of exchange system or without one and just communally sharing and making agreements together. And those things exist in the world still. There's Camp Hill communities all over the world and there's eco-villages all over the world, including here in Ireland. And they all are experimenting with different ways of getting along. I'm also was trying to bring out a voice in Rowan. I'm not sure that I'm succeeding, but I was trying to bring out voice in Rowan that was the skeptical voice that I hear around me in my time, in my world, that these things would be better than the kind of technological utopia that we're supposedly moving towards. That's the message of the capitalist system of it's okay about losing jobs to mechanization or to AI because we'll reach a time of amazing leisure and equity, which of course is completely disproven that that would be what's going to happen. And so, but I did want to include almost that, that longing or that counter voice that there are still going to be people, even if we return to more equitable systems and more collaborative systems, who would wish for the prizes, if you like, that we've gained if you are someone who's of privilege living in a country that has partaken either those countries that were colonial countries or now Ireland was not a colonial country, but it has embraced all sorts of big corporations and it has embraced fast fashion outlets and different food systems and lots of technological systems. So people get to have a lot of technical toys. And I kind of imagine that Rowan is has heard those stories of the different personal computer devices. Rowan, who's able to tap into intermittent and not very well-working internet and using cobbled together devices, helping other people do that, that in part he's looking for this, another utopia, because it having swung to the direction of much more local production. There just isn't the exploitation in the world, that capability of globalization to get all these precious minerals and put them into personal computing devices and phones and so on. And I, I so I was kind of imagining that in Rowan as he 
is exploring these worlds and he is experiencing some of the good within them and he's hearing about them. But he's is he kind of doesn't want his view that, that we wouldn't have to stay there. We could go back to a golden age of technology. So we'll see where it leads. Thank you.